Hello, my name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist. So I'm going to be starting a series here over the next week, week and a half, where I'm going to be going over a text by St. Thomas called De Articulis, 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 I promise I, I've taken Latin, Fide, <laughs> on the Articles of the Faith. So in it, in Book 2, he goes over the seven sacraments, in a very brief format, um, gives us a very helpful outline. So as as my goal is to retrieve some of these other texts by St. Thomas that most people aren't going to read, this perfectly fits in because he goes over all seven of them uh, very brief, very succinctly, and this would be a very good intro uh, video that gives you a taste of St. Thomas and then also teaches you about each one of the sacraments because people have been requesting that I do a little bit more um, beginner level stuff. So I'm going to get right into that. But first, um, stop for our ad break. Join my Patreon at patreon.com slash militantomist. You get access to more articles and videos. And if you'd like to help in another way, buy a Militant Thomas mug. Lastly, you can buy a book from Militant Thomas Press. See options below. Also, if you prefer audio, check us out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Join the Discord to get involved. And if you're a patron, you get access to other Discord channels. Also, destroy that like and subscribe button and comment to annihilate that algorithm. Lastly, this show was brought to you by Fluent Greek. I'm sure you've forgotten your seminary Greek and need to get it back or just want to learn Greek to read sacred scripture in its original language. That's why Fluent Greek is here. Using modern pedagogical techniques, it is set it up so that you are reading Greek from the very beginning and learn Greek how you're supposed to learn it through reading Greek. It sorts the New Testament by verse from easiest to hardest and then gives space repetition of these verses so that you can read Greek as soon as possible. Even better, it is only 15 bucks a month to use. But if you use the code militant, you can get 20% off and help the show. Go to fluentgreek.com to learn more. And the link is in the description. Okay, so we're going to get right into it. I'm going to put it up like this. Actually, you can't really see the text. Can I make it bigger? Oh my. It's up down there, I guess. Okay, so right here, De Articulis Fide. Notice, look, Wagner. Interesting. There's a printer named Wagner. Okay, so we're going to be going over the sacraments of the church. Now it's just going to be an introduction, introduction of what the sacraments are. He's going to give an analogy. Then he's going to speak about them in general, kind of how all the sacraments relate. Then he's going to get into all seven of them and give a little bit of aspects of them and then how um, they are frequently misunderstood um, by people. Okay, let's, so let's get right into it. So we shall now consider the sacraments of the church. We shall treat them under one heading since they all pertain to the effect of grace. So what binds the sacraments together? They all pertain to the effect of grace. First of all, that must be known which St. Augustine wrote in the 10th book of the City of God. A sacrament is a sacred thing or the sign of a sacred thing. So notice that's going to be the most basic definition you're going to get of what a sacrament is. It's a sacred thing or the sign of a sacred thing. So many things could be called sacraments. For example, in the Catholic Church, we describe things as sacramentals, such as holy water. While sacraments, properly speaking, aren't, I mean, uh, while sacramentals aren't properly speaking sacraments, in a broad sense, we can define them as sacraments. But the Church, to be a little bit more helpful, describes them as sacramentals. So there's properly speaking sacraments, which are the seven sacraments. And then there's improperly speaking sacraments, which could be uh, many things, could be the uh, the utensils that are used at mass, it could be um, vestments that the priests wear, it could be holy water, it could be many different things, can be described generally as sacraments. We need to get into a little bit more uh, detail 
before we properly speak of what a sacrament is in the new law. Okay. So even in the Old Testament, there were certain sacraments, that is, signs of sacred things. For example, the Paschal Lamb and other legal sacred signs or sacraments, which whoever did not cause grace, but only signified or indicated the grace of Christ. So we need to be very careful here because we can speak of the sacraments of the Old Testament, but there's a difference between the sacraments of the Old Testament and then the sacraments of the New Testament. So the sacraments of the Old Testament are going to be things like the Paschal Lamb, which is slaughtered at the Passover, and um, there's going to be uh, the showbread, there's going to be the utensils of the temple, there's going to be things like that. But they don't give grace. They only signify grace without giving them, and they indicate the grace of Christ. So they indicate something in the future, but do not necessarily give them like the sacraments of the New Testament do. So the apostles call these sacraments weak and needy elements. They were needy because they did not contain grace, and they were weak because they could not confirm confer grace. In them, as St. Augustine says, the merits of Christ brought about salvation in a more hidden manner under the cover of visible things. So in this, it has a lot to do more with the contemplation of the future coming of Christ in the Old Testament sacraments. They don't give grace, but they show forth future grace. And then those who were in the uh, the dispensation of the old law, they could contemplate these sacraments. And in contemplating the sacraments, they look forward to Christ's future coming. And then in this, this is how they were able to get grace. So the sacraments of the new law, they're very different because we have a better law and a better covenant. So on the other hand, both contain and confer it. A sacrament of the new law is a visible form of invisible grace. So that's going to be very key here. So when we're defining what a sacrament is under the new law, the seven sacraments, it's a visible form. So it's something which is done visibly, something which is done before the eyes. So you can get grace through things like prayer or you can get grace through uh, other means. But those aren't sacraments because they aren't visible signs which are showing forth that invisible grace. So thus, the exterior washing, which takes place when the water of baptism is poured in bap- when the water is poured in baptism, represents that interior cleansing which takes away sin by virtue of the sacrament of baptism. So notice, you'll get often in a lower church evangelical circles in Protestantism, you'll get they'll stop with the uh, first part of this definition of baptism. So it's the exterior washing which takes place when baptism is poured in baptism, when water is poured in baptism, and that represents that interior cleansing. They'll just stop there. But from a Catholic point of view, in a Catholic uh, theology of the sacraments, we go on and say, which takes away sin by virtue of the sacrament of baptism. So not only does it represent with water the cleansing we get in baptism, but it also, by virtue of that application of baptism, we also get the grace of baptism. So we are able to see outwardly the grace in which we're getting inwardly, and it's effectually applied. It's not just us uh, contemplating a mere sign. It's a sign which is effective for grace. And then he tells us about the number. So there are seven sacraments of the new law, baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, penance, extreme unction, orders, and matrimony. The first of these sacraments are intended to bring about the perfection of the individual man in himself. So baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, penance, extreme unction, that's for the individual. Um, Whereas the other two, orders and matrimony, 
are so constituted so they perfect and multiply the entire church. So orders of matrimony, which is uh, which are implied to the individual, so orders as in ordaining a priest and matrimony as in the marriage between a husband and wife, those aren't necessarily for the individual. While they're applied to the individual, their scope is for the entire church. The married couple in holy matrimony serves the entire church by multiplying it through the begetting of physical children. And then the those in holy orders, the, the priests and deacons and bishops of the church, they multiply and perfect the church by uh, begetting spiritual children, which is why we call them fathers. Okay, so now he's going to give an analogy of the spiritual and the physical life. And this is really a beautiful explanation you get right here of why we have seven sacraments. So the spiritual life conforms to the physical life. In the physical life, man is perfected in three chief ways. First, by generation, in that he is born into the world. Secondly, by growth, through which he is brought up into stature and perfect strength. Thirdly, by food, which sustains man's life and powers. Okay, we, in this life, we have three ways of being perfected physically. First, we're born, then we grow, but we also get food. Pretty simple. So this would suffice were it not that man is attacked by illnesses. Hence, fourthly, he needs something which will bring him back to health. So we now we have four. First, we're born. Second, uh, we grow. Third, we need food. Fourth, we need medicine. So this also holds true in spiritual life. So a way of thinking about our spiritual life is in the same way in which we think about our physical life. So first, man needs regeneration or rebirth, which is brought about through the sacrament of baptism. Unless a man be born again of water and the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So going to this first point back here, so by generation, that is being born into the world. So we're born into the spiritual life through baptism. And then secondly, it is necessary that man develop perfect strength, which is, as it were, a spiritual growth. And this indeed comes to him in the sacrament of confirmation. So second, after we're born, we need to grow. And this growth is done through confirmation. This is like the strengthening which the apostles received when the Holy Spirit came upon them and confirmed them. The Lord himself said to them, but stay you in the city of Jerusalem till you be endued with power from the most high. And then third, the third, similarly, is that man must be fed with spiritual food. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you shall not have life in you. So third, first, we got baptism in that we're born into the world. Second, we're growing through confirmation. Third, we need food. And this food is the sacrament of the Eucharist. So fourthly, man must be healed spiritually through the sacrament of penance. So in that, in so far as we fall into sin, that sin needs to be healed just as we need medicine. So penance is seen as a medicine when we're brought back to health. So fourthly, man must be healed spiritually through the sacrament of penance. Heal, O Lord, my soul, for I have sinned against you. And then lastly, one is healed both in soul and body in the sacrament of extreme unction. Is there any man sick amongst you? Let him bring him to the priest of the church. Let them pray over him and anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick man. The Lord shall raise him up. And if he be in sin, they shall be forgiven him. So that's lastly. So not only do we have medicine, but we have this, we have this last stage, which is before death. 
And before death, we receive both physical and spiritual healing and something completely unique. And that is the sacrament of extreme unction. And now you may be wondering, well, we have five, where's the other two? So the two of the sacraments, order, orders, and matrimony are instituted for the common good of the church. Through the sacrament of orders, the church is ruled and is spiritually multiplied and through the matrimony is increased physically in numbers. So again, this can also be, St. Thomas doesn't draw this, but again, in we don't always only have an individual good as as people. We also have a spirit. We also have a uh, common good or a political good. So our polis, which is our city or community or um, culture or such, in in our polis, we also have two ways in which we need to uh, live in community. One is we need to be ruled. We need a, a hierarchy of leaders, and this is achieved spiritually through um, through orders. And then second, we need that multiplication of children. We need people to be ruled. And the and that is done through matrimony, which is um, the spiritual aspect of marriage. So you see through uh, both of the individual and the political or common good, you see that the spiritual realities are patterning themselves after it. So it really is extremely reasonable that we have seven sacraments because this is patterning itself um, intentionally the spiritual community is patterned after our uh, physical community and our individual self is being patterned after our spiritual self. Okay. Now he goes over them in general. So this will be helpful. The seven sacraments have some things which they hold all in common and some things which are proper to each one. That which is common to all the sacraments is that they confer grace. Okay. So it's essential to the definition of the sacrament that they confer grace. That's the thing which they all share. It is also common to all the sacraments that a sacrament is made up of words and physical acts. Notice there's going to be two aspects to this, the words and then the acts uh, which come upon them. So we, before we were talking about um, how there's that physical sign and then the interior grace, which is given, but the physical sign itself uh, comes in two aspects. You're going to get, get what's called the matter of the sacrament and then the form of the sacrament. And that's just scholastic talk uh, for the matter being the physical object. So in the Eucharist, it's the bread and the form is the words which are spoken. So in, in that sign, we have words and we have matter. So the, the words are going to be, this is my body. And so also Christ, who is the author of the sacraments, is the word made flesh. And just as the flesh of Christ was sanctified and has the power of sanctifying because of the word united to itself, so also the sacraments are made holy and have the power of sanctifying through the words which accompany the action. Now he's going to make a Christological argument. So the, the sacraments not only are going to pattern after our uh, social life and our individual life, but the sacraments also pattern themselves in, their, in the way in which they're uh, interiorly constituted. They're going to pattern themselves after an incarnate lens. So just as Christ is the word made flesh, so also in the sacraments, you have the word and the matter, which are conferring that material reality. So thus, St. Augustine says, the word is joined to the element and the sacrament is made. Now, the words by which the sacraments are sanctified are called the form of the sacraments. And I said that before. So you have the form of the sacraments and the thing by which are sanctified is called the matter of the sacraments. Water, for example, is the matter of baptism. And the holy chrism is the matter of confirmation. 
In each sacrament, there is required a minister who confers the sacrament. So again, we have another thing which are, which is added. So there's a minister, so you can't just have nobody do it. You have to have a person in the proper role of doing it. For example, in uh, the Eucharist, you need a priest. You can't just have any person, even if they have bread, which is the matter, and even if they have um, the word spoken over them, which is the form, you still need a priest, which is the minister. So we have matter, form, minister so far. In each sacrament, there is required a minister who confers the sacrament with the intention of doing that which the church intends. So notice, the intention of doing that which the church intends. So not only is is does there need to be um, the words, which is the form, not only does there need to be the thing, which is the matter, not only does there need to be the minister, which is the minister, but also that minister has to have the intention of doing what the church does. So the, uh, the example given here, well, the example which is not given here, but is often given, is let's say you have a baptism in a movie. So with the baptism, you have the water, which is the matter, you have the words being spoken, which is the form. You have the minister, a baptized layperson, a layperson. What am I, liberal? Layman. <laughs> a baptized layman can uh, confer the sacrament of baptism as the minister, but the intent isn't there because they're intending to do it for a movie. They're not intending to do what the church does, which is to regenerate. So if any one of these three requirements is lacking, the sacrament is not brought into being, viz., if there is lacking that due form of words, or if the matter is not present, or if the minister does not intend to confer the sacrament. So he has three requirements, but uh, often the, the last one, which is minister and intent, is, is split up into four requirements. So the effect of the sacraments is likewise impeded through the fault of the recipient. For example, if one feigns to receive it, and with a heart unprepared to receive sac receive worthily. So we have a further problem right here. So let's say you have uh, the Eucharist and you have a priest. Bam, you have minister. You have his intention to consecrate the Eucharist. Bam, that's intent. You have the words. Bam, you have form. You have the bread and wine. Bam, that's matter. And the sacrament is given. Excuse me. The sacrament is given to somebody who is not uh, intending to receive it. So let's say you have somebody who's a Muslim or I don't, I don't know, an atheist. You have an atheist who's walking into a church and just goes up and snatches the sacrament and eats it. Well, the person is an atheist. So they're obviously not not intending to receive it um, according as it is to be received. So this is called an impediment to reception. So there can be a certain impediment, which while a valid sacrament is being given, impedes the grace from being received. So it's very important to make this distinction. And uh, we can get into this a bit later when it comes to impediments to holy orders. This is going to be very important with the debate around women's ordination. So such a one, although he actually receives the sacrament. So again, this person, since the sacrament is being objectively given, receives the sacrament, does not receive the effect of the sacrament. That is the grace of the Holy Spirit. So the person is receiving the sacrament, does, but does not receive that grace of the sacrament. For the Holy Spirit of discipline will flee from the deceitful. On the other hand, however, there are some who never even received sacramentally, yet who received the effect of the sacrament because of their devotion towards the sacrament, which they have in desire or in vow. So we, we have another layer here. 
So when it comes to the sacraments, somebody can receive the grace, the sacramental grace, without receiving the sacrament itself. So on the one hand, we have our atheist, which walks into the walks into the church and snatches the sacrament. He receives the sacrament, but he doesn't receive the grace of the sacrament. He doesn't receive the effect of the sacrament. Now, let's say, on the other hand, um, we have um, a person who is a catechumen. So a catechumen is a person in the church who has not yet been received into the church. And they're still in the process of learning about the faith before they get received into the church. Let's say this person is a, a good catechumen and he goes to mass every Sunday and he prays the prayer of um, spiritual communion for being communing with the sacrament spiritually. This person in his desire for the sacrament will receive the effect of the sacrament, even without receiving the sacrament itself. So, and then going on. There are some things which are characteristic of each individual sacrament. Certain ones impress a character on the soul, which is a certain sign distinct from the other sacraments. Okay, now we have another layer. So some of the sacraments are distinguished from the fact that there is what's called a sacramental uh, character. So when we receive these sacraments, we only receive them once in our life, and they stay with us. So for example, with uh, if you receive the Eucharist, Receiving the Eucharist, you may fall into mortal sin, um, let's say a month ahead. The grace of the Eucharist then uh, leaves you. There, there's no impress of the Eucharist that's given on your soul. But if you're baptized and then fall into apostasy and then come back to the church, you're not baptized a second time. Because once you're baptized, you are always baptized. And then such are the sacraments of orders, baptism, confirmation. So with holy orders, once you're a priest, you're always a priest. With baptism, once you're baptized, you're always baptized. With confirmation, once you're confirmed, you're always confirmed. And people in these stations, so um, for example, uh, I myself, I was not baptized in the Catholic Church. I, I will be received in the Catholic Church. So since I have that sacramental, uh, that, uh, sacramental character, of baptism on me. I've been baptized, therefore I'm always baptized. When they receive me into the church, they will not rebaptize me because I've already been given that sacramental character. And it's the same way with orders. If you see how uh, Eastern Orthodox priests are received into the church, they're not uh, received by reordination. And also with confirmation. But confirmation gets a bit weird because a lot of traditions have invalid confirmations and therefore uh, they aren't received. For example, uh, I myself uh, confirmed as an Anglican. I will have to be reconfirmed, but I wasn't really confirmed in the first place because there wasn't a valid minister because Anglican orders are invalid. And then also uh, Lutherans. That's another tradition which often confirms Lutherans being received into the church, except very small bodies. There's a few that keep apostolic succession, but except for very few bodies, Lutherans getting received into the church will have to be reconfirmed because it wasn't valid. And it's the same way with orders, uh, with Anglican priests and with uh, Lutheran priests. When they get received uh, as priests in the uh, ordinary, which is the group that receives them, they have to get reordained because they weren't ordained in the first place because their bishops didn't have valid orders. So the sacraments which give a character are never repeated in the same person who has once received it. Thus, he who is baptized need never again receive the sacrament. Neither can he who has been confirmed receive confirmation again. And one who has been ordained need never repeat his ordination. The reason 
the reason is that the character which each of these sacraments impress is indelible. So again, they're also called not only a sacramental character, but also the indelible mark. So the indelible mark means that you just can't scrub it away. So on the soul of these people receiving these sacraments, they will remain forever. So let's say you have a priest, um, somebody who's been baptized, confirmed, and ordained. They have those three marks, even if they apostatize and go to hell. Their soul in eternity, in eternal fire, hellfire, will still have those marks of baptism, confirmation, and orders. So even a priest in hell is still a priest. So in the other sacraments, however, a character is not impressed on the recipient, and hence they can be repeated as far as the person is concerned, not, however, as far as the matter is concerned. Thus, one can frequently receive penance, frequently receive the Eucharist, and can be anointed more than once with extreme unction. And likewise, he can be married more than once. So again, uh, with matrimony, this is very important. This is not saying that somebody can have multiple spouses. And this is not saying that uh, somebody can be divorced and remarried from a sacramental marriage. But this is saying, uh, for example, if you have a uh, the death of a spouse, you can be married multiple times. Yet, regarding the matter, the same host cannot frequently be consecrated, nor ought the oil of the sick be frequently blessed. So it's when it comes to um, as far as the person is concerned, the person can receive um, not the matter. So you can't take a host, consecrate it, and then uh, consecrate it again and consecrate it again, consecrate it again. The matter, once uh, it's consecrated, is always consecrated. Not that any of you are wondering. That's a very obscure question. Okay, that's all I have. Uh, thank you all for watching. Uh, look forward to the next video tomorrow. I think it's either going to be two or three o'clock in the afternoon. I'll be posting that. We'll be going over St. Thomas's doctrine of baptism. Uh, remember, become a patron. That really helps me out uh, to get more resources. Uh, for Well, for you to get more resources is what I meant, but I also can get more resources. Uh, join the Discord and uh, buy a mug. I don't have my mug on the desk, but uh, I really appreciate all of you showing up today to listen to me. And um, God bless. Actually, it's uh, it's Lent, so do penance for the kingdom of God is at hand. Glory.